back to the middle of culture. I'm one of your co-hosts, Peter. And I am your other co-host, Eden. Eden, how have you been? Before we started recording, we, we had a brief conversation about allergies. Uh, so it sounds like those have been uh, making themselves known. Indeed. Um, yeah, been dealing with some allergies. Um, I think I've got it pinpointed to one of two trees, um, both of which we have in our yard. And <laughs> one, to be fair, to be fair, if it is the ash trees, I just got to last another five or 10 years because the emerald ash borer are killing literally every ash tree in this entire state. Oh, so, so then it won't I give be a it problem. Five or 10 years. That bug will have killed every ash and it won't be a problem. If it's the mulberries though, my wife is actively cultivating mulberries because she loves to walk through our yard and collect mulberries while she goes on her. We have, so we are hippy dippy people like this. Um, we do not mow inside of our fence the entire yard because we have half an acre and that's just too damn much to mow. Yeah. Um, so what we do is we just let it grow. And then Cassie has uh, mowed a path that like kind of winds through the backyard and around the trees. And it's just kind of like a, a meandering path um, that she creates every year and then puts like little tweaks on it each year. So it's a little bit different each year, but the idea of there being a path we've done for three or four years at this point. And she loves more than anything on like a nice morning once the mulberries are fruiting to go out and just walk along the path with a bowl and collect enough to put in her cereal, come in, rinse them, have a bowl of cereal. So she's actively cultivating the mulberries. So they're not going away. So if I'm allergic <laughs> to the mulberries, I just got I just got a deal. But if it's ash, they'll be dead. Well, there you go. Well, what have you been up to? Anything interesting, fun, or yeah. uh, worth discussing? A couple of things. Um, so I'll, the funny thing about the stuff that I've got to bring up this week is most of it is things that I started and then kind of bounced off of. Okay. But I think it's worth mentioning anyway. Um, no, definitely. Last time I mentioned that I played Jedi Survivor in like three or four days and loved it. And it like once again got me feeling those star wars feels so i like built the bd1 lego set because of course i did because he's like the greatest droid of all time now he's like sure rocketed to the top of the charts sorry r2d2 um but then i also you know they the, one of the big things in star wars jedi survivor is it's talking a lot about high republic era stuff so stuff that was happening 100 to 200 years before any of the star Wars stuff we think of as normal star Wars stuff now. So okay. like 200 years before the empire was founded. Sure. And that's when the high Republic is taking place. Like, and there's certain, certain aesthetic stuff that is really accentuated in this basically multimedia project that the star Wars, uh, people have been doing for the last few years. So after playing Jedi survivor, really liking it and being like, okay, call me high Republic curious. Mm -hmm. I picked up the first book in the High Republic series that kind of kicked off the whole thing. And now it's like got there's adult books and teen books and kid books and comics and uh, then a TV show that's coming out next year, okay. as well as a video game that's due soon-ish. Um, so I was, like, interested. Because the idea of High Republic is, like... The, you watch the prequels and they explicitly say, yo, the Jedi are in decline. 
Uh-huh. Uh, we do not have the influence we used to have. We do not have the force abilities we used to have. Our connection to the force is getting weaker, and we don't know why. Uh, granted, it's because Sheev was there, but, like, what are you going to do? You got Sheeved, guys. Uh, this is 200 years previous. There's no Sheev to screw things up. So this is the Jedi at the height of their power, which, again, interesting concept. So I started reading the first book, um, and it's, like, going to be a set of, like, three trilogies, essentially, but they're all written by different people, which is maybe for the best, given this first book. Um <laughs> It's called Light of the Jedi. It's by Charles Soule, who is an author who I have not been really that impressed with. He got his start in comic books, and I've read a fair amount of his comics, some of which are really mid. The only comics of his that I really liked and the only ones that I own of his are is his She-Hulk run, okay. um, which, you know, I, I own half for just being a She-Hulk comic, and I own every single floppy of She-Hulk that's ever been put out. But it's also a pretty okay She-Hulk run because he is a lawyer by trade. Like, that's what he used to do before he got Disney money to write Star Wars novels. Gotcha. Um, so he was pretty good at bringing the the legal aspect and the courtroom shenanigans in a believable way into a She-Hulk book. And it helps that, like, they paired him with two incredible artists, Javier Pulido and, and Ronald Wemberley for a couple of those issues. And Ronald Wemberley is one of those like all time greats. You see his art and you're just like, yo, the kineticism that he is able to embody. So I, I'd read a few of his things and I was like, okay, weird choice to, for your star Wars book. But like the premise of the book is so promising to me because there's been some sort of accident out on the like mid or outer rim a ship has broken up inside of hyperspace and now the debris from that ship is exiting hyperspace at light speed and just rocketing into the planets in the system. Okay. So like that's, and so they call in the Jedi to try to help and basically be like sure. first responders. Yeah. The Jedi are there basically to be like, how many people can we save? What can we do to like try to stem the tide of of you know trauma that's going to be happening here? You know how can we make sure that as many people as possible are helped and saved and all that sort of stuff? So like Jedi as first responders is like the coolest sounding shit in the world. Mm-hmm. However, the book is unreadable, <laughs> and like I don't say that lightly. I don't mean to be rude here, but the book's fucking unreadable. <laughs> it's so bad and so overwritten and like so over explicative every chance he has he's like repeating the same like concept over and over and over and oh and i'm like dog i know what a jedi is you don't need to tell me what a jedi is for the 17th time in the first 30 pages of this book yeah i've seen the movie star wars i know what a jedi is um so I made it about 50 pages in, and then I just stopped. I could not read it anymore. And it was really, again, conceptually, I was there for it, but it was some of the worst writing I've ever tried to force myself through. Hmm. Famously bad, apparently. I only found out afterwards when I was talking into Discord with some friends about it, and they were like, oh, yeah, no, famously dog shit book. And apparently the ones other people have written the other books in this series, apparently they're much better. Maybe I'll just skip. I'm not really, you know, I think you're the same way. I'm not really a skip to book two kind of person. Oh, it's tough. It's tough to skip. Yeah, no, for sure. But I'm tempted to skip to book two. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Um, It did put a bit like 
I was like all in on Star Wars again until I got 50 pages into that book. And I was like, maybe I'm out on Star Wars. Never mind. (laughs) Just a little bucket of cold water right on that, you know, smoldering flame. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, And then we've we've gone and seen two movies in theaters in the last couple of weeks that are worth mentioning. One of which is a movie we'd seen before. um, One of which was brand new. Of course, I was there opening weekend to see Fast X. <laughs> uh, can I have a, can I, can I make a confession? Uh huh. I have only seen one, two, and four. I'm sorry that you saw one of the very worst ones in that group of three. <laughs> well, you know, I I do have plans, and you skipped over one of the best ones. I do have plans to watch them all. It's just every time I think about it. I'm like, oh, that is too many movies. It's a lot of movies. We, I had never seen any of them besides the first one um, until Fate of the Furious had a release date. And we knew it was coming out in like a couple of months. And so a friend of ours was like, I've always wanted to watch these movies. Do y'all want to make a weekly appointment that I come over on Sunday afternoons and we watch another one of these movies and then we can all go see Fate of the Furious together? So that's what we did. Um, is that every Sunday afternoon, Dominique would come over and we would watch the next Fast and the Furious movie. And frankly, I fell in love with them doing that. They're really big and dumb and stupid. Um, and like, I love them all the more for it. This sure. is not your thinking man's action movie. This is turn off your brain and watch the cars disobey the laws of physics. No, this, this is embrace it. Yeah, totally. And to be fair, not always. I mean, you saw that first one. That first one was point break but what if car instead of surf correct um so it is funny to see where they go um from lifting dvd players from a semi to uh space um eventually but (laughs) i think they're really fun we went and saw it it's not the best one uh but i had a good time and i'm really excited for the next one in the series i think they just recently announced this was supposed to be the penultimate movie there was supposed to be basically a duology of 10 and 11 to wrap up the series right and no it's a trilogy baby 10 11 12 they just oh, announced we're doing two more of these bad boys so i'm a little i you know i was i was i love them i enjoyed fast x i was ready for 11 to be the last one but i'll also take two more okay very nice and speaking of vehicular mayhem, uh, we had a friend uh, who just celebrated her birthday. And so as a birthday present, her husband rented out a movie theater at one of the local cinemas. Um, and we watched her all-time favorite movie, which is Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, very nice. And have you seen Fury Road? I have seen most of it. I have not had been able to sit down and watch it start to finish. And that is one of those things that I'm like, I need to, I need to remedy that. That's fair. The thing about it is, if you have a chance to see it on a big screen, you got to see it there. Okay. It is one of those movies that I, I have. I've. We went and saw it twice in the theaters when it was originally in its original run. I, we went and saw it, and Cassie was like, "I want to see this movie again as soon as possible." So we went and saw it like two days later with another set of friends. Um, and we've, you know, we I've watched it since. I, you know, uh, the the Blu-ray has a second disc that is the um the black and chrome version which is basically the movie in black and white because initially the film was conceived to be entirely in black and white um until the studio got cold feet and said no you have to do this in color and he was like 
what if I did both? And so the movie, as vibrant as it is, also makes for an extremely compelling black and white experience because that was how Miller originally envisioned it. Sure. Um, so I have seen black and Chrome, which is incredible. Um, but again, I saw it on my TV at home, which is not that great. And I don't really have good speakers. So it was really exciting to see it on the big screen again, still slaps, still one of the easily in my top 10 best action movies ever, maybe top five. It just rules. It's so good. Very nice. But because we'd watched that, I was like, you know, they put out a Mad Max video game a few years ago. Uh, yes. How bad could that be? And the answer is, uh, until a certain point where I have given up on the game, it was pretty okay. <laughs> okay, so yet another thing we bounced off. Well, it's not even... I didn't bounce off. I'd love to keep playing it. I'm just not good enough at the car driving part. Mm, yeah. I think I remember when it was coming out, hearing that that part was not awesome and, and it's disappointing because I really was interested in getting into it because if I'm remembering correctly, isn't it made by Avalanche? I think it's the made by the it folks who made, made the, the Just, Just Cause, Cause people. And yep. I loved the heck out of Just Cause 3 and 4 despite their multitude of flaws. It was – those were both a blast to play and just you know yeah. destroying crap left and right. Uh, but yeah. it sounded you – know, I remember reading the reviews and I don't know – thinking that uh, this sounds like a game that is going to frustrate me at some point and then I will want to stop. So, And that is exactly what happened to me, unfortunately. I was doing really good. I was having a really good time with it. Um, you know, it is what you would guess a mid-2010s open-world 3D action game would be in that what if Far Cry, what if Far Cry, but in Mad Max world and sure. in third person. But sure. like, you know, you you go around in different map areas and you have to go up in a balloon to scout out the area and then, you know, go around and destroy scarecrows to make the threat level go down and attack the different outposts. And all this was going fine. Take out some convoys. All this was going fine until I hit a point where I have to destroy the bad guy in the middle of a race. Uh. And I'm just not able to catch him quick enough to get him dead um and it's because i'm not very good uh, and or the driving part isn't very good i'm not sure whether it is objectively a flaw of the driving in the game or whether i'm just not very good at driving in games because that's also entirely possible no no i think we blame the game we blame the game but at any rate i i have unwillingly stopped playing mad max because i would like to finish the game and see where the story goes but i cannot seem to beat this boss fight so I guess that means I'm done. I, I even went as far as to install a cheat engine and see if I could use cheats. Mm -hmm. But the, because um, they had a cheat on that cheat engine that was freeze enemies. So I was like, well, guess what I could do? Start up that race, hit the F7 button to freeze enemies and then just like pew pew and move on with the game. Oh, it doesn't freeze enemy cars though. It only freezes enemies on the ground. Oh man. So... I guess I'm done with that game. Well, you know, at least and you gave it a lastly, try. Lastly, another game that I gave the college try and bounced off of um, due to not being a very good game is Redfall, um, which mm, is a new release yeah. from, again, again, a studio that I really love. I mean, I it's think freaking that, arcane. 
Arcane has made some of the best games of the last 15 years. I love their immersive sims. I loved all three Dishonored games. I thought Prey was way better than it had any right to be, being a remake slash stole the name from a very bad mid-aughts shooter. Um, <laughs> I I was really thinking that Redfall might be... I, I never got around to Deathloop. I heard the conceit of the game, and I heard the twist in the middle of the game, and I was like, ah, I don't need to play this game. Uh but I've heard that was pretty okay. But uh, Redfall is not good. It is. I mean, you have Deathloop, designed. don't you? I mean, I have Game Pass, so I have Deathloop. No, it was. Are you still a Humble Choice member? Oh well, then I also have it in Humble Bundle. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, no. it's also in Game Pass, so I can also. It was a it was a Humble Choice game a few a uh, couple months ago, so. Then I undoubtedly have it. I probably just haven't redeemed it yet because I go in and like, unless there's. <laughs> This is the problem. And I bet you do the same thing. I do exactly the same thing. Unless there's a game that I'm like, oh, damn, I have really wanted to play that game. I guess I'll go in, redeem that game, and the last six six months worth of Humble Choices. Yeah. um, Which I'll probably be doing because I've heard that Chaos Gate Demon Hunters is like, what if XCOM, but in Warhammer. And I really like the XCOM game, so I'll probably pony up and redeem that and the last four months worth of humble <laughs> choice games so i will have death launch then or death loop then yeah, but right. yeah red redfall just is not doing it the the way that combat works is really messy um the uh, ui is just atrocious the powers are not nearly as like you can tell that this is a game that is designed to be played by a team of four players oh. i don't have four players i got me and it's just not that fun. And that's a shame because I really like Arcane. But What are you playing it, it on? Uh, my Xbox Series X. Okay. Because I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I could give it a try. If I decide to give it a try, I'll let you know and maybe we can try it together. Okay. I mean, it's still installed um, because the Series X is my Jedi box. That's literally the only thing I've used it for in the last two months. Besides <laughs> like two hours of Redfall. Um because, you know, the Xbox just does not have enough games. Yeah. And to be fair, the PS5 also PS5 also doesn't have enough games. The only thing I use that for is Final Fantasy XIV. So I've got like $1,100 of pure computing power that goes to playing a <laughs> PS3 game. Yeah. I don't know. It's a little sad because, uh, honestly, I well, and, and this is in part because I'm a, a sucker. I have a pair of the Xbox Elite controllers. And that controller, it just feels so incredible. And so if there's something that's multi-platform, I want it on my Xbox because as nice as the, whatever the stupid ass name that Sony has given their current version, you know, the the dual sense, dual sense. I couldn't remember. I knew there was anyway, stupid names. I'm sorry. Um, But you know, it's, it's a nice feeling controller. It feels better than. Well, it feels better than the previous one, than the PlayStation 4s, I think. I disagree. Well, either way. I hate the DualSense. So the much. Xbox Elite controller is elite. I mean, that well, thing. Well, let's be honest. The Xbox controller has won since the 360 era. Oh, 100%. Like, the 360 controller is better than the PS3. The Xbox One controller is the same controller, so it's better than the PS4. Uh-huh. And the Xbox Series X controller is the same controller so it's better than the ps5 yeah so that controller just feels so much better in my hands that again if there's anything multi-platform i'm gonna get it on the xbox instead of the playstation so i mean i do the same thing that's why i bought survivor 
on on the Xbox instead of the PlayStation because I own Fallen Order on the PS4. I I got it for the PS4. So I have it through Game Pass on my Xbox, but I don't own Fallen Order on my Xbox. And part of me is like, well, they should both be owned on the same platform. And then the other (laughs) part of me was like, you fucking hate the DualSense. You're not going to want to play this on the DualSense when you could play it on the Xbox controller instead. So I was like... You're right in a monologue voice. You are exactly correct. The <laughs> so, day, the day Final Fantasy XIV is Xbox compatible, which they have been saying is in the works for years, the PS5 collects dust for the rest of forever. <laughs> so, so I have a question. Where do you think this neurosis comes in? Is it is this something we can attribute to our parents? Because I'm the exact same way. It's dad. Okay, that's I what I was thinking too. And, and I was gonna do the same, but I wanted to see what she said because no, I, it's dad. I'm the very much the same. Like I, I mean, the boys were like, "Oh, can we get Jedi whatever Survivor?" And I was like, "Sure." And they're like, "We get it on the PlayStation." And I was like, "No." We have the first one on the Xbox. We're getting the second one on the Xbox. You gotta keep them together, guys. You have to. It's you have law. to. It is. It is it's the, law. the law. Anyway, I'm glad that we both feel the same and that we. To be fair, to be fair, we're not the only ones who feel that way. I have a friend who is still to this day incensed that Xbox has kept up their backwards compatibility and PlayStation hasn't because she has literally every Final Fantasy game that has ever been released on her PlayStation except for the 13 trilogy because they have not kept up the PS3 era backwards compatibility like Xbox has. So there is this trilogy of games that she cannot put on her PS5, whereas she has 1 through 12, 14 and 15, and next month soon to be 16, all on her PlayStation, but she cannot play play Final Fantasy 13 trilogy on her PlayStation at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's too bad. Because that would drive me crazy as well. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. All right. Well, what have you been checking out in the last couple of weeks? I've been talking for a while. No, you're good. You're good. Um, so I think last time, actually, did I mention that I went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? You did not. How did you I didn't find think that so. Film? Uh, I enjoyed it. In fact, I enjoyed it enough that it made me think on the two previous Guardians of the Galaxy films perhaps more fondly than I think I previously did. Interesting. It did not make me go back and watch them. But I did, I I enjoyed it. I think that it did a decent job of hitting some of the emotional beats that I think it was going for. I think uh, just that I I liked the way they resolved a lot of the things with many of the characters. Sure. And did it in a way that uh, at the end of it all, I was fairly satisfied. I was like, okay, cool. We can move on from these characters. So uh, I, I will say, I think that I probably enjoyed it more than any other post end game movie with the exception of Spider-Man No Way Home. Wow. I think so. That's a, that's, that's high. Well, the question is, is that middling praise damning with faint <laughs> praise the rest of the series or is that high praise? I don't know. You take it however you take it, listener. I would say it's middling praise. For me, I think it's middling praise because I liked Black Panther, but it didn't, you know, I only watched it once. It wasn't something I went back to. I enjoyed Ant-Man. 
Um, I liked Dr. Strange, but again, only watched it once. I, I really oh. enjoyed Shang-Chi. I think Shang-Chi is really good. And, and that might be the outlier. And it may be just that it's been long enough since I saw Shang-Chi. Um, sure. But no, it was, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was again, not one of those things that I didn't leave it and I wasn't thinking about it and waiting to go see it again or anything, but I walked out of there and I thought, okay, I think you landed the plane and yeah, landed the, it, for me, it landed the plane more surely than I was expecting after volume two. So, yeah, I was really disappointed in volume two. I had been pretty high on volume one. Um, I hated volume two. Um, I thought it was just wretched. Um, and it really soured me towards the guardians as characters so that when they then showed up in infinity or war, I was like, fuck those guys. <laughs> and, uh, it soured me on Sean, on James Gunn as a director. So when I saw he was doing anything else, I was like, nah, I'm good. Um, so I, I have not seen number three yet and yeah. uh, I will probably wait till it's on Disney plus. Cause I didn't even go see Ant-Man either. And I just saw the other day when I was, I was, you know, sidling up to the lunchtime table to watch rebels. I saw that Ant-Man quantum mania was on there and I was like, I'll get to that eventually. <laughs> and that's fair. No, I think uh, again, I mostly went, um, the Marvel movies, whether we end up live, loving them or not have kind of become a thing that Gareth, my youngest and I, we just, it's something that we share. Sure. And it's the same with the Marvel shows. We always watch the new episodes together and stuff. And so for me, it was, again, it was a, Hey, cool. My teenage son is, you know, willing to hang out with me in public. Let's go see this movie together. Um, I've, I, I will say as an aside, I've always been very spoiled. I have not yet at any point had any of my children express any unwillingness to hang out with me in public. So somehow I, well, there you go. I have been very fortunate and I, I am grateful for that. And so again, when those kind of opportunities present themselves, uh, I'm going to take them. So we did see that, uh, in terms of watching stuff, you know, still just kind of working on Ted Lasso, which is wrapping up two more episodes. I have not seen this week's, uh, and I thought that the last two found that season. Cause I have uh, heard from, from my friends who are big lasso heads, they have been, uh, pretty lukewarm at best on this season. It seems like, you know, I, I, there are enough things about Ted Lasso and there are some of the characters that I enjoy enough that I'm of the opinion that any Ted Lasso is better than no Ted Lasso. Sure. I do think that there have been aspects of this season that have been weaker by far than the two previous seasons. However, the last couple of episodes have really seemed to, at least for me, write the course with a few of the characters. And there have been some moments with some of the other characters who um, really have endeared them to me that I still find it very enjoyable to watch. And so is it as good as previous seasons? No, I don't think so. I think it's been more uneven, but it has had enough really solid highs that uh, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still on board. I'm still quite enjoying it. So, well, good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, you know, I always have to bring up music because I do like to listen to music and, uh, there's been a few things in the last couple of weeks that I have been enjoying. Uh, there is a, a, a new album Ventesorg from the band death of giants. It's their debut album and it's really good kind of 
Doom Death uh, for people who are into that, and I am. I love it. Very much in the style of some older uh, My Dying Bride and other stuff like that. Uh, it's a very, uh, very kind of sad album. The guy behind the band, his wife passed away from brain cancer at the age of about 31, and this was sort of his one of his ways of coping with that grief. So you know that that's what you're going into. And the other big thing that I think I'd throw out there, which kind of surprised me how much I liked it once I finally said, okay, I just need to give these guys a listen. And that would be the new album, Terracite by the band Cattle Decapitation. And you know what? Uh, Terracite is a fucking monster of a death metal album and it's fantastic. Nice. And I'm kind of on the cattle decapitation train now. So, you know, there we go. Nice. And then finally, uh, the other thing I'll mention is, um, well, I will say I did finish book 10 of the wheel of time, uh, predominantly in a, uh, seven hour round trip car ride that I had last, uh, Saturday. That's right. But I will say that, uh, my son's four by 200, uh, team took third state. So that was pretty awesome. It was nice. Congrats to them. Yeah, no, they, they ran hard. They looked awesome. They pulled off a pretty big win compared to some of the other teams they were going up against. So, and, uh, set a new school record with their time at state. So that was pretty cool too. And, um, I'm going to say that book 10 of the wheel of time is 819 of the most absolutely boring pages I have ever read in my life. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that nine was bad. Nine was the one that was boring enough that when I read it the first time I was like, screw this. I'm out. I will come back to these when they're all done because I am not suffering through these again, trying to remember who's who and what's what. And then I got to book 10 and I thought, holy shit, it got worse. Uh, so I am at the start of book 11. I just need to get through that one. And then I do hear people say that the last three are better. Those are the ones that Brandon Sanderson wrote. Um, everybody knows I'm a fan of his, uh, though, you know, I mean, obviously he still has his faults and he's, he's not perfect, but he, he writes in a way that engages me enough that I'm looking forward to those. Um, well, and that's then exciting. the final thing I will mention is I have been playing a little game. What's that? And it's this little game that I don't think very many people will have heard of. So um, it's called, um, oh shoot, what is it? Uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I don't know if you've heard of that. Oh Um, no, you've become (laughs) Zelda pilled. I don't know if I'd go that far. It was just, you know, Tears of the Kingdom came out and I'm watching Gareth play it. And I was like, you know, I need to just give this a fair shake. Like a year plus ago, I was walking through Fred Meyer and they had some Switch OLEDs in stock. And I was like, oh, I'll get myself a Switch OLED and I'll put it up in my office. And so I had a Switch OLED that has literally sat on the desk in its dock in my office for over a year, has <laughs> never been played once. So, so he's downstairs on the big TV playing Tears of the Kingdom. And I'm like, well, maybe I can play a little Zelda. Now, few things I found out. Number one, if you are a human being. I am. With normal human being sized hands. Unfortunately, I am. Fuck the Nintendo Switch Joy-Cons. I mean, like, no, this is this is a no respect for Joy-Cons uh, center here. Like, no, this zone, this zone has no respect for the Joy-Con. They're absolute dog shit. And oh, yeah, they're terrible. For, for so many reasons. And one of them just being the fact that they're so small. 
that look, I do not have really big hands. I have normal size hands for a person my size. And actually like my fingers aren't super long. They could be longer and it would still be normal. So it's not like I'm walking around with these great, big, huge, huge meaty paws, but I try and hold that switch and play it in my hands and it hurts. It is uncomfortable. And so then I was like, well, maybe I'm, then I'll plug it in. So I have this, you know, little ViewSonic 1080p 15 inch monitor that you can use as in a second screen for whatever you plug it into. And so sure. I plug in a little, I don't remember if it's mini micro or whatever. It's just like USB HDMI is just as bad, but it's the type of HDMI cable that'll plug in there. So I plug that in and I try to play it on there and I have a, and this is really funny. When we got the Switch, you know, of course, because I'm that guy, I bought the um, the Nintendo Pro Controller. And because when it's in the dock, if you're playing on the screen, and if it's just one person, you want that big controller. So, because it just feels yeah. better in your hands. So I had bought For that. Sure. When I bought mine, I was like, mm, I'm not doing that. I'm not spending $70, seven zero freaking dollars for that Nintendo Switch yeah, no, Pro it's, Controller. It's, it's expensive. Too it's awful. expensive. So I ended up finding some, you know, some Chinese version that was like $30 maybe. Uh-huh. <laughs> Turns out, and according to my boys who are the experts at the Switch and have been playing it since we got it, they're like, oh no, that, it, they're like, yours is way, way better than the, Ninten- than the, the, the Nintendo official one. But anyway, so. Oh, word? Um, yeah, and I mean, it's a great, it's nice. It's got little RGBs around the thumbsticks that just sit there and swirl and it looks all goofy and stuff, but it re- feels really good in the hands, plays great. And it was $30 instead of $70. So I was a fan. Hell yeah. So I'm plugging the, I got the switch in the dock and I'm plugging it over into the, uh, to, to the ViewSonic monitor. And you know what that ViewSonic monitor is not? It is not an OLED screen. Mm. And so things just aren't as vibrant. It doesn't look, it's a little more washed out. Obviously the blacks aren't all the way black and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I, then I'm like, well, no, I want to play it actually and use the Switch's little OLED screen, which despite the fact that it's small, it looks really good. Sure. But I can't, it's so painful. So I'm sitting there with it on my desk, then holding this other you know, pro controller knockoff in my hands playing it because it's just impossible to play with the stupid, you know, joy cons on the side of this thing. So then I have an epiphany that, Oh, just like they make aftermarket pro controllers, they make aftermarket joy cons. So I find this like big box doyoki wireless RGB pro joy con replacement, blah, 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 blah. just like, you know, word salad thing, Uh but it's like 45 bucks or whatever. And so those are en route. They're bigger, they're bigger and bulkier. So they still slide on and latch on to the side of the switch. But then basically it's, it is as if you took the big pro controller and split it in half. So we'll see, then maybe I can start playing it. Because the one thing I have noticed is there are many times where, because I'm an old stupid man, I'm having to call my son and I'm like, Gareth, what the hell am I supposed to do here? And then he'll come <laughs> and I'll point things out. So I'm like, maybe this way, then I can just go downstairs while he's playing on the TV with, you know, Tears of the Kingdom and, and I'll play a little bit. Like, pause Wild. for a second. Look at what our old man. <laughs> exactly. But I will say, um, I am enjoying it. I'm definitely not in the. Uh, greatest game ever camp, which, you know, is just one of those things that I he- get here thrown out all the time about breath of the wild. And, and now again about tears of the kingdom. And, uh-huh. and part of the reason I don't think it's ever going to get into that realm for me is because I am in these types of games. It is like story and character. 
Those are the big things that pull me in. And we've talked about this dozens of times before. It is the reason that Mass Effect 2 is my personal favorite game of all time. Because sure. it plays well, but I really think that the story is cool and engaging and the characters are fascinating. Each of their, you know, and, and uncovering their backstories and doing their loyalty quests and finding out about them. I really enjoy those characters. You don't get any of that with Zelda. And that wasn't, I think, ever Nintendo's uh, intent. Yeah. And, and so in the same way that, you know, I played Skyrim and thought it was fine because the story beats are kind of spread throughout and there's not a strong central narrative. It doesn't sure. grab me quite as well. So I get the feeling that breath of the wild will be a little bit like that too. Yeah. I, I know breath of the wild is more like that. Like Skyrim's story is dog shit. Like oh, no yeah. one cares. No, totally. That, the, the joy I have found in Skyrim is playing it as the fuck around and find out simulator. And like, <laughs> that's what it's for. And the story is terrible. And this is true of basically every Bethesda game. Like Fallout 3 doesn't have a good story. Fallout 3 is fun because you like go out into the wasteland and just like screw around. Well, they have to they have to get a better studio to come and do that. And that's when you get something like New Vegas. They can't do right. it themselves, which has me extremely um hesitant about starfield later this year no oh, 100 percent. play it yes i have it it's on it's on game pass i get it for free of course i'm gonna play it i'll play it day one do i think it's gonna be good probably not yeah i, I just like i say i'm enjoying breath of the wild i am planning on sticking with it thus far i do find certain things about it incredibly annoying such as the fact that my weapons are breaking all of the damn time uh yeah but that's that is the thing that is that is the mechanic that every time I've talked to friends about that game, I've said, I don't think I can do it because of that. Like that is the mechanic that drives me the most crazy about those earlier Bethesda games. And that is gone in the later ones. Skyrim yeah. doesn't have weapon degradation. Thank God. And I know that in the, in breath of the wild, it's like crazy fast, like oh way gosh. faster than in other games. Like sometimes it's like three or four hits and that thing falls apart. Yeah. Depending just, on the weapon, it could be that was few. It cardboard. <laughs> Am I hitting them with cardboard? Right. So I don't know. We'll see how long I stick with Breath of the Wild. I am enjoying it enough right now that I have gone back and fired it up probably about four times total in the last week or so. And, uh, nice. you know, we'll see. We'll see. Again, it's definitely, I haven't gotten into it to the point where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But I'm like, I'm having enough fun that I'm going to stick with it. So nice. That sounds fun. Well, that's a lot of stuff about what we have been getting into lately. And, and it will be interesting to see what our discussion goes from here. So uh, listener, you know, we, we know that uh, Eden very graciously gave me a few weeks reprieve and, and we watched that Gamera trilogy uh, that we have discussed. And so when it came to be my turn, I felt like, you know, we've talked about music. We've talked about some games. We've talked about, um, obviously a fair number of movies lately. I thought, well, maybe we should read something. Yeah. But I didn't want to commit to a whole book because who's got time for that? I mean, again, I'm working through the wheel of time. I don't have time for any other big books. <laughs> and also we wanted to kind of, I wanted us to be something that we could digest easily in a couple of weeks. So, uh, I listened to a number of podcasts from a network called The Incomparable, and a number of the hosts of The Incomparable are judges for things like the Hugo Awards and the Nebulas. 
And so often I'll hear them talking about either novellas, short stories, short fiction, this, that, and the other. And one of the things that uh, comes up fairly often is this magazine called Uncanny Magazine. And so I kind of looked into Uncanny Magazine and, and it certainly has had enough accolades in terms of it is not uncommon that short works of fiction that are in Uncanny Magazine will be on uh, the nomination list for, uh, for both the Hugos and the Nebulas. So I ended up kind of subscribing, supporting them via Patreon and stuff. But to be quite honest, because I've been working on this monumental task of trying to read the wheel of time, I haven't read much of it. Sure. And so in part for me, subscribing to uncanny magazine has been aspirational. Well, I decided if I've been doing this aspirationally, let's, I got to come up with some content for the podcast. So let's, let's look good at it. So Eden and I took a peek at the most recent issue, issue 52 of uncanny magazine and we didn't necessarily say, oh, we're going to read these stories and talk about it, or we're going to read the whole thing or whatever. We just kind of said, let's read what we want, and then let's talk about them. So that's what we did. So Eden, what were some of your thoughts out of the gate, um, whether specific or just sort of in general? Um, you know, what, what did you think as we started reading some of these short stories? And uh, again, there's other things. There's a number of uh, fiction, short stories, there's some nonfiction articles, and there's actually some poetry and then a couple interviews. So what did you think? Yeah. Um, I, I didn't read everything. I was busy doing other things, being busy, working, all that sort of stuff. But I did get a fair amount of it read. And what I read, I really enjoyed. Um, it's, you know, I really enjoy a good short story. I like that it can be in and out in 10 to 15 minutes, that it can be punchy. I feel like authors can do weirder stuff because they don't have to, you know, extend that conceit for 200 pages if it only needs to be 15 or 20. Absolutely. Um, and so I really enjoy, I really enjoy short stories as a, as a, as a medium. Um, you know, uh, I, when I was doing my, my PhD work, um, one of the things we had to do in my PhD work is I had to pick two like geographical and time period um, focuses. And one of them had to be from Latin America. So of course I did colonial era Latin America because that's what I knew I wanted to do my dissertation on. And then for my Spain half of it, because my PhD is in Spanish, so half of it had to be about Spain stuff. Um, I chose 20th and 21st century. Um, and one of the areas that I focused on specifically was microfiction, what are called in Spanish microcuentos, which okay. are um, short stories, but like hyper short, like a page or a paragraph. Um, and so I have always really had an affinity for, for shorter fiction. Um, I think since I did, uh, since I did study all of those micro cuentos and really got familiar with the idea of micro fiction. Sure. Um, and I, I have been a big fan of, and you know, I think I've even said it on this podcast. Your book doesn't need to be a thousand pages. Right. It can be, it can be 85 pages and I'll still pay you full price for it. It's fine. Yeah. I don't feel ripped off when the book is skinny. I know some people do. But those are the same people who want every movie to be three hours, and they're also wrong. I love a 78-minute <laughs> movie, and I love an 85-page book. Yeah. I'm 100% with you. Um, and again, that was kind of one of those things that the more I had heard about Uncanny Magazine, I thought – because I, you know, I used to – when I was a kid, and this is kind of how I got into this. I used to love – well, I don't know if I'd say love. I used to go um, yard sale, you know, garage sale – 
uh-huh. uh, storming with our, our grandma, grandma Jones, dad's mom. And she was like the queen of yard sales. I mean, it was Saturday oh, morning. Geez. She had it all mapped out. She knew what route you were going to take to hit every sale that mm-hmm. was, that she wanted to hit. And I didn't ever get very much at those, but I would almost always try and find a book or two if there was a good one. And one of the things I found that I was drawn to were anthologies. So collections of short stories. Yeah. Because I wasn't committing, you know, if I paid 25 cents for this anthology of short stories, I didn't have to read the whole thing. I could just flip through and find things that I thought were interesting. And so I think because of that, in a similar fashion, I I enjoy... Um, I like short stories. I I like something that I can, like you said, give me 10 to 20 minutes, depending on the length. Let me sit down. Let me digest this thing in a single sitting and then move on or think about it more or whatever. But I'm not, it's not this huge commitment that pulls you in and feels like it's, I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. The wheel of time feels like shackles around my wrists and my ankles at this point. (laughs) Shackles that I am bound and determined to remove by completing it. But it feels like that. And, you know, I love that something like that this comes along or, or novellas or short stories, things like that, where, like you said, it's, you know, 100 pages or less or maybe a little bit more. But but it's something that I know in, again, a session or two of sitting down and reading, I'm going to be able to get through it and I'm going to finish and I'm going to be satisfied. And uh, so that was, again, for me, one of the things that drew me to this to go, okay, look, every two months I'll get, depending on how it was. I mean, I'm looking at the PDF right now and the PDF is 223 pages in my e-reader. It was like a hundred and something. And again, it depended on which font size I used. Sure. So, you know, not, a, not a lot. And, and it was easy to kind of sit down and, and do some reading. And, and, you know, I found a lot of things that I enjoyed as well. So were again, there any... Within that 220 pages, it was like eight short stories, four essays, and some poems and a couple interviews. So it's yeah, not like... Exactly. You know, this, I, I read it when, um, on my phone using the Kindle app. So it was not page numbers, but at the bottom it would tell you how long each chapter you'd have left in each chapter, uh-huh. which I think is kind of a nice thing. You know, you'd start it and be like... Eh, it'll be about a 10 minute read. And she's like, okay, I got 10 minutes. Let's read. Mm-hmm. So interesting. And, and here's where I'm going to expose again, another aspect of my psychosis. Um, I read this on a Kobo Sage e-reader. Oh, fancy. It is, uh, it, well, it's new to my collection. So I have a Kindle Oasis and I think it was the first gen Kindle Oasis. And I like that great for reading Kindle books. Because I'm, again, a sucker, I have the Kindle Scribe, which was the new one they released this year that's the great big, like, 10-inch screen, and it has a stylus, and it has all this stuff. And and um, Kindle stuff, I'm just going to say it, Kindles are great if you're reading Amazon stuff. If it's not Amazon, they're shit. They're well, just I bad wasn't at reading it. it. I wasn't reading it on a Kindle. I was reading it on my phone. No, I know. I do not have seven e-readers. <laughs> I have an original Kindle from 2010 somewhere in this house that I don't even know if it would turn on if I plugged it in. So I was using my phone. No, and, and like I say, I get that. Um, what I liked about the Kobo, and of course I went with the Kobo Sage, which actually is like, it's like an eight-inch screen. So it's a little bit bigger than the Oasis, but it's a lot smaller than the, than the Kindle Scribe. And it actually... 
you can get a stylus with it and you can take notes and, and kind of e-ink notes are, are kind of interesting. They're kind of fun to do. Um, I, I still don't, in, when you get right down to it, honestly, the best digital note taking thing for me is still probably my iPad mini because then those notes sync to everything. But I got the Kindle scribe and I loved the fact that I plug it in to my computer and it just shows up like a drive on, you know, plug it into my Mac That's mini really nice shows up like a drive. I open it up. I downloaded a boatload of EPUBs and I just dragged them onto there, dropped it. And then when I opened up the Kindle, the Kobo, it just saw that they were all there and it let me do whatever I wanted with them. And it actually read them really nice. One of the nice things that it did with uncanny is it's smart enough that even after adjusting the font or whatever, it would tell me at the bottom, it could, if I want, and I can make this go away, but it will have how long, how, how far along am I? What's my progress in terms of pages through the whole thing? Uh-huh. And it will again, adjust that depending on what font size and spacing and everything you do. But then at the top, it'll actually tell me how many pages out of X for this quote chapter. So in this case, you know, each sure. short story I could see, you know, I was on page seven of 13 or, or this one was, you know, 21 pages or this one was like seven pages or whatever. So, um, it was, it was kind of nice. I'm going to throw this out there. I think that, you know, competition is a good thing. I think Amazon has had a little bit of a stranglehold on the e-reader and ebook sort of market. And so I was kind of, it was kind of fun to, uh, to read on something different. And again, I really do enjoy because I think I'm an old man. Um, I mean, I don't, I know I'm an old man. I think it's because I'm an old man that I really do enjoy e-paper if I'm sitting down to read text far, far more than, uh, an LCD screen or, or even an OLED screen oh. on a phone or whatever. Oh no, I, uh, uh, here's the thing. I joked about how I don't have another Kindle because I wouldn't use it because I don't like to read e-texts. I had to, the day that you sent this to me, I was like, let me just go on the uncanny website. Do they do print copies? Cause I'll get this shit in a magazine. They'll send it to me in a magazine. <laughs> Listener, unfortunately, they do not. it is all electronic, so I was forced to use my phone. Yes. But in a perfect world, in a in in a 1980s or 1990s sci-fi world, I would have been able to order this on paper and have a magazine. <laughs> you are correct. Which would have been ideal to me because that's how I like to read is with my hands on actual paper. Yeah. So I it was not ideal. I did not have a, I had a good time because I enjoyed the content. I did not have a good experience with the reading process because <laughs> it is miserable to read on a phone. It is in my so, humble IMO. No, no, no. I, I, I am completely with you on that. And again, that, that would, um, I, I would just outline and, and sort of highlight that I feel that way by my glut of stupid e-paper, um, devices. Because again, I have three. And the only reason I have three is because when I got the Kobo, I gave away one to somebody that I work with anyway. Um, let's talk the about paper white is only 140 bucks right now. Maybe I should just get one of these. Oh, I mean, ad supported. No, honestly How much to get without ads, 20 extra dollars. So, Look, I'm going to be that guy and say, maybe you should look at, at a Kobo. Maybe you should look at a Kobo. Maybe I will. I'm glad, I'm glad Kobo's still around. I'm not going to lie. I thought every other one besides the Kindle had died. Um, so I am glad to see that Kobo is still around. Um, 
especially because like I, you know, I follow a lot of people who write um, and release things in ebook format, and it's kind of a pain because I would like to read them not on my phone or at my computer. I mean, so maybe I need to look into a Kobo. That was the big thing for me was um, the Kobo Clara Second Edition is 140 bucks. Yeah, but I don't know if that one has a light. So I don't need a light. Look at the Kobo Nia. It's got that a one's only 110 and yeah, it's got a light. Jesus, a I light. just need to buy one of these. And and the other reason, again, the other reason I throw this out there, and, and I'm going to sound like that weird, I don't know, maybe I'm not. Uh, here, I don't like, I, do I use Amazon? Of course I do. Do I buy eBooks through Amazon? Of course I do. But do I try? Do you grudgingly every time and feel terrible that you are giving one of the worst <laughs> people on the planet two pennies every time you buy anything from his goddamn website? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are correct. So I, I prefer when I can to buy things not through Amazon. So like Story Bundle, you know what? I buy almost every bundle that Story Bundle throws up. And they're all non-DRM EPUBs. And on Humble Bundle, when they have bundles of books that are, again, just in non-DRM EPUBs or PDFs, I get those things all the time because I want to have stuff to read that I didn't buy from Amazon and that didn't give any money yeah, to that organization. And that's again, fair. if you're trying to read that on a physical e-reader with a Kindle, it's a little bit more work. You got to, I mean, you just, I mean, okay, it's not that much more work. You just got to email it to a stupid email address and then you got to download it and it is kind of a pain though. You got to email it to a pain or, or you got to like go to like a page that is hidden in the hinterlands of a sub menu of a sub menu of a sub menu when you're logged in and then you can drag and drop straight to it. But like, yeah. it is not easy to find. So that was why honestly I ended up going with the Kobo because again, I plugged it in, I downloaded all of these EPUBs in a zip foil file and then it automatically unzipped for me. And I grabbed those folders, dragged them on there and boom, they were there in my library and I could read them and it made me feel good because uh, Amazon didn't get a single penny for any of those transactions. So, you know, you just throwing that out there. Anyway, back to the subject at hand. <laughs> 55 minutes in, let's talk about the pain, the point of our episode this week. <laughs> let's do that. I mean, look, I'm going to be totally honest with you. If nobody's figured this out yet, at least for me, the main point of this entire podcast was to give me an excuse to talk to you some more because, you know, we just weren't doing it because life got in the way. No blame on anybody. I'm just, I mean, again, I'm bad oh, yeah. at keeping up with people. Uh, but the greatest thing about this podcast for me has been uh, you and I regularly getting to talk. So that's all that matters to me. I 100% agree. But uh, let's talk about some of the stories. Um, you mentioned that you read uh, what I made it through. I made it through all of the fiction, including the uh -huh. one reprint. I did not make it to the nonfiction and the poetry. Uh, so is there anything in the nonfiction and poetry that you want to talk about since you got through some of that at least uh, and I did not? Just that I thought it was really interesting. Three of the four nonfiction um, ones deal with AI, which I think is really prescient. You know, it is obviously a, a topic of conversation and also concern um, for a lot of creators, both in art and writing and all those sorts of things. Um, and a lot of people were like kind of uh, um, 
struggling with or grappling with the concept of AI and like how how it could be used in art effectively without like you know disenfranchising artists and writers and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I thought that they were all interesting. Um, but yeah, I also really there is a zine that is in here, one of the nonfiction ones called "Community as a Superpower," and that was great. Um, because it was about collective action and about how collective action works and had a bunch of great uh, artwork mixed in with it. Talked a lot about ways to fight against segregation and discrimination. And I really love zines. Zines are a, a, are a medium that I really um, have been attracted to for a long time. I love the punk rock ethos of what a zine is and how a zine works. Um, and so I thought that community as a superpower really stood out to me of the nonfiction. If you get a second, I would say, read that one. It won't take very long because it is, you know, uh, scans of, of a zine. It's not a, like actual text. It's scanned right. pictures. It's quick read. No, I'm kind of going good. through looking at it right now going, okay, this is kind of cool. Yeah. I'm definitely going to come back and, and read this one. It's very cool. So yeah, that would be the one that I felt like was a real standout in the nonfiction section. Um, and then the poetry was just really, it was a really good poetry. You very rarely, I feel like, see speculative or science fiction in a poetry setting. Sure. But all three, all four of them were just really stellar. Um, I thought that um, uh, the very last one, Stone Kingdom, was really, really gorgeous. Um, and it reminded me a lot of, you know, one of the, one of the stories, um, is also like, I would say uh, prose, but not really. Um, uh-huh. I'm trying to remember which one it is. Um, it was the really short one. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking right now. Well. I, I will have to take a look and see if I can find it, but I think it was maybe the last one before the reprint. Uh, yes. A lover's tide in which we inevitably break each other. Told an inverse. That was also like prose, but also poetry. It was very poetic. I thought that one was incredible too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What, what did you think of the of the fiction stories? What did you find interesting about this collection? So uh, there is a part of me that was reading some of these, going, "Man, am I too dumb for this?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and it's not because I thought any of it was bad. It's just a lot of, I mean, there was one of the things I enjoyed, but also, and then part of it's just, look, I use this as an excuse a lot, but work is kind of killing me. I mean, really in three days of clinic today, I think I saw 97 patients Yikes. Um, and then had 12 surgeries on my two surgery days. And so things are just really busy. And when I sit down at night and I try to read some of this stuff, I can tell that my brain is just fried, you know? Yeah. But they're very different uh, styles of, of writing and prose between yeah. each one of these. And so there was a little bit of a challenge for me to try and go from one to the other and sort of recalibrate how I'm reading things. Um, I enjoyed a lot of them. I mean, I don't think there was any that I was like, Ooh, I, I, there was nothing that I regretted having read. There were some that I enjoyed more than others, but they're very much, 
and, and I appreciate this, I think to some degree, and maybe it's just because aspirationally I'm intellectual, but I'm not really, I don't know, but <laughs> they, they definitely feel like, like, I think if you gave any one of these short stories to people who read kind of pulp fiction type stuff, you're going to give it to them and they're going to, they're going to bounce off of it. I think. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Agree. I think that there's a there's a particular literary quality to a lot of these that I think, you know, if you handed it to the Omni crowd, which was yeah. like a big science fiction mag in the 70s and 80s, they would have been like, uh, no, thank you. But I thought that they were really, really affecting. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Even the ones that I had a little bit of a harder time getting into, I thought were incredibly well written. Like just so interesting the way the way the different authors approached what story they wanted to tell and how they yeah. told it. Um, and so that I, I really liked interestingly. And, and maybe this is again, just cause I'm simple. I think my favorite one was honestly the mausoleums children, which was the first one. Um, uh, I, I am inclined to agree with you. Um, maybe I, Infinite Endings of Elsie Chen also really yes. got me, but Mausoleum's Children was very, very good. Yeah. Um, no, those two, the first two were by, definitely my most favorite. Yeah. Um, the uh, Mausoleum's Children is written by Aliette de Baudard, who is a, an author who I think is really incredible. I've read some of her stuff before. Um, she is oddly enough with a name like Aliette de Baudard and you read her thing and it's like, Oh, she resides in Paris. You're like, why is this lady writing in all of these Vietnamese names? Uh -huh. it's Cause she's Vietnamese. She's, she is, her mom is Vietnamese and, and she speaks Vietnamese and like, so this is a cultural thing that she understands. This is not like weird appropriation, um, which I really appreciate. Um, but you do see that name and you're like, that's kind of a, <laughs> choice and then you find out more about her and you're like oh okay that's cool yeah um, but i've read some of her stuff before um she has this series of books that is about this detective and her spaceship and they are in love with each other and they're and they're really good i can't think of the name of it <laughs> um they're re she's really great um and and this was a really good a really good um kind of vision into the way that she writes um, you know, it's really kind of hazy um, and kind of dreamlike, um, but does have still like a really clear through line. Like, you know what action is happening while you are kind of in this world of like of, of hazy dreamlike uh, material. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the second one, because um, you mentioned that that that, you know, was was vying for uh, possibly your favorite, the infinite endings of Elsie Chen. And I think when it's all said and done, that one probably wins for me. It did make me cry. So yeah. that it gets points for making me tear up. <laughs> it, it It's a, it's really good. And you know, it's one of those that I, I think I was thinking back to the first one more. And then when, as soon as you mentioned this and I started thinking about it, but it's really interesting because the idea behind this one, again, in sort of a prescient sort of way is that the main character, Elsie Chen, she comes up with and designs an AI that uh, an algorithm basically that will, she can feed it everything about a person. And then it tells her exactly what was the moment that led to their death because all of her like high school classmates are dying except for her. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating the way we look at, I think what a lot of people 
are, um, you look at what's going on in, in kind of the, the world as a whole right now, as people talk about AI, especially with, you know, the explosion of things like, uh, open AI's chat GPT and, you know, Microsoft and Bing, Google and Bard and, and all of this stuff. <clears throat> and I think there's a huge amount of misunderstanding as to what these things are. In fact, yeah. I, I got in a little bit of a, I wouldn't say an argument. Um, I'm going to tell a short story if, if I may. Um, of, course. of course there was, so there's a, uh, there's a person at work and, um, really nice guy, uh, really, really good guy. Uh, would do anything for anyone, but he's a little bit of a, like kind of red pill conspiracy theorist sort of person. Okay. Uh-huh. So he was talking to this other new nurse the other day and he was talking about, oh, and this, this article and this person was doing this and they were using AI, they were using chat GPT and, and, um, you know, the, it, it, look, it, I'm going to say these two words and, and it's going to make me feel dirty, but Hunter Biden's laptop, that's what it was about. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. Anyway. Long and short of it is he was like, so the guy gets in and, and, and chat GPT tells him what's in this article. And then he goes and he clicks on the link 404. And then he says, goes back and he's like, oh, I can't find the link. And chat GPT's like, oh, here's another link 404. And he's going down this rabbit hole and he's like, so, you know, all of these articles and everything that's been written, they've been wiped from the internet, blah, blah, blah. And I finally had to stop him and I had to say, stop. <laughs> so that's not how this works. I said, all chat GPT is, is it's a large language model. Mm -hmm. So it has been fed, depending on which version of chat GPT you're using, it has been fed a significant corpus of the words on the internet of which there are many. And everybody who has spent any time on the internet knows that if asked a significant portion of the words that are on the internet are garbage. But ChatGPT doesn't know that and it doesn't care. It just knows those words exist and that they've been put together in a certain way. And then yep. its goal is to give you what it thinks you want to hear by putting those words together in a way that other people have done it, that it thinks will make you not even happy, but that I think will satisfy the parameters that it was fed. That's it. Yep. That's all it's doing. Yep. It's all it's doing people. And so when you start reading all these things and they talk about, oh, well, you know, these were hallucinating and this is the term that they use when they would get off the rails. But, but because you can get in a conversation with these large language models, they can start to get recursive. And if you're in the same chat session, it is keeping all of the previous things that you have said and your reaction to everything it has given you. It is keeping that and it is using that to inform its next answer. And so if you've asked it a lot of questions about a certain thing, then when you ask it a same, another question in that same chat, it is going to use everything that you just asked it and say, it want, this person wants an answer about this thing. And it wants it in this way because, well, no, I, you know, it, anyway, long and short is they're not thinking, they're not coming up with anything. All they're doing is it is like, um, it, it's like autocorrect on steroids, and you know, uh -huh. sometimes autocorrect gets it right. And lots of times autocorrect gets it wrong. But I thought this was a really interesting story because again, 
the main character, she's talking to these professors and they're like, that's not how this works. And she's like, no, 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 this is totally what it is. I've figured it out. I've got this. And I could see in the main character, almost this like slight psychosis where she's invented this thing and she so fully believes in everything that it is telling her Uh that at the beginning, you know, she believes she can't die because it hasn't come up with a reason for her to do so yet. And I thought it was fascinating. You look at that and you go, but that is like, it is such a, a compelling way to tell a story about something that is happening right now in our world to millions of people who are using these tools and don't understand what they actually mean. And so it was, yeah. it was fascinating. Anyway, I talked a lot about it, but I thought it was really cool. Yeah, no. And like I say, it just, it made me cry when it was talking about, um, uh, the girl who was in her class, uh, uh-huh. Sabrina, and how she had gotten this message from her, had not answered the message, and then she was murdered, um, just like senselessly in in the street. Um, and then she finds out what it was, and she says, well, and tries to work backwards using this AI she's created from there, and sees this whole world that could have been had Sabrina not died. Yeah. That includes the two of them, like, meeting back up and falling in love and being together until their 70s is when she finally stops letting it feed her data, is when she realizes that, or when it tells her that they would have lived to their, you know, old age together together happily and like and, and like you say just this tension of like you can imagine all of these reasons why things might be different whether that be ai telling you what would have happened or whether it's believing in in you know a higher power that that made these choices for a reason and that that's why it has to be this way because that's what you know this the, the higher power the powers that be made happen or whether it's all just senseless like things just happen and mm-hmm trying to make sense of it sometimes can make us can break us in really sad and, and heartbreaking ways. No, absolutely. And that one really, it was really, it was really a tearjerker for me. Yeah. Well, uh, is there anything else in particular that you wanted to, uh, to mention before we wrap up? Yeah. One thing I just want to mention that I don't, I, this is the only issue of this magazine that I've ever looked at. I'm very curious to look at more. I'm, I'm going to see if I, you know, I'm going to read more of this and maybe, you know, go subscribe myself and see if I can't read f- further and, and past issues. Cause I was really impressed by it. Mm-hmm. But one thing that's worth mentioning about this issue at the very least, there's one thing written by a dude in this entire book or in this mm-hmm. entire collection. And that is that zine and everything else is either written by a woman or a non-binary person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of writers of color, a lot of marginalized writers, you know, dis- disabled writers, and I think that that is really cool of the editors of this magazine. And again, I don't know, maybe this was just maybe we just stumbled onto the the all no white dudes issue. But <laughs> I would say that I no. Really a- I think I, I really appreciate that about it because the there are so many voices, especially in genre fiction, that have been marginalized for so long. Yeah. And if we look for ways to 
to look past that expect expectation of the genre, which is old white guys writing 800 page doorstoppers. Like that's just what science fiction and fantasy are to the popular imaginary, but they don't have to be because there are writers like this who are working in these media and working in these, these genres. And we just often don't hear about it because Mm -hmm. of the structural inequality of society. Um, and so I really appreciate that as I read this, these were these were stories that were written by marginalized writers, written by minoritized writers, and telling stories about minoritized people in meaningful, thoughtful, and and, and compelling ways. Yeah. No, and you know I've I've again not read a ton, but I have glanced through a lot of them and have looked. And I mean, right now I'm kind of going through oh, issue 50 and just looking at at the authors and there have been two dudes but both of them have been minorities in addition to uh, the other authors and and I think in everything I read and as I get you know even just emails from the editors and the people who are in charge of this it is that is not a mistake I mean that is very much one of their goals I believe is to give voice to voices that have had a harder time uh, being heard. Like that is, I truly believe that that is one of the goals of uncanny magazine is again, to give voice to those who are not as likely to be heard as on the whole, you know, as we take of just sort of pop culture and in general, and I really appreciate it. And that honestly, <clears throat> that is one of the other reasons why I support them. Uh, on on Patreon, and I mean, hell, I even did the Kickstarter, even though I'm already supporting it on Patreon for the next year, because because I like what they do, and even if not every yeah. single thing I have read is my favorite thing ever, I love that I am getting. I mean, from a purely selfish standpoint, I love that I am being exposed to other, whether it's worldviews or even just like cultures and things like that, that living in southeastern Idaho. I have to look for that stuff. I mean, it's the whole reason that my children went to the Lutheran school, private school in town. One of the key reasons was because it was the only way there was going to be any sort of diversity in their classroom, whether it was, you know, racial, whether it was ethnic or, you know, even again, just religious. Um, And, and so I think personally, we will be better people if we strive to expose ourselves to how other individuals and other cultures and things approach the world. And that yeah. is something that I so firmly believe. Uh, and I, you know, I, I try and encourage my kids, same thing all the time. We need to expose ourselves. We need to experience the world through the eyes, through the words, through the thoughts and the feelings of people who are in whatever way it may be a little different than us, because that's how we become empathetic, better people who love other people more. We are more capable of love and doing good in this world. If we have more diversity in our lives and I will argue to the death, anyone who tried to tell me otherwise. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with you. And I really appreciate that. And I think that that is very cool that that is clearly one of the aims of this magazine as a publication. And I love that this was issue 52 of a bi-monthly, you know, every two months Mm -hmm. publication. 
So they've been around since 2014. That's when the original, the first issue came out. And so like, clearly like they're going the distance. And I think that that's really cool. Um, and I genuinely think that I am going to go and, uh, and, and probably add them to my Patreon. Uh, you know, I, I have a, 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 a fairly sizable Patreon thing <laughs> that comes out every month and every month I look at it and I'm going, Oh, that's kind of big, but I still want to support all these people. Yep. But I think it's going to get four bucks a month bigger now because I feel like this is a, this is a, an org that's doing really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to keep reading this issue and I think I'm going to subscribe and maybe buy some back issues, especially if I get an e-reader. Well, there you go. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up now. I actually have a choir concert to get to fairly soon. So <laughs> it's just been one of those weeks. Eden and I are recording, not at our usual time, but I'm glad we were able to talk about this. And, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I, again, it was kind of one of these things where I haven't had the time to spend with the issues of Uncanny that I have since I, I first started supporting them that I would like to. But this was something where I'm like, this gives me a good uh, a good impetus. I mean, you know, look, it's content for the pod. So, I mean, that's always makes it easier to get something <laughs> to, to do something sometimes. Uh, but again, because I really like what they're doing, I wanted to share this with you and hopefully anybody else who's listening. I mean, go and check it out. It is, it is a worthwhile endeavor that I think enriches the world. And I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, I think it was really good. I appreciate you bringing it to my attention. Absolutely. Well, thanks everybody for listening and uh, we'll be back in another couple weeks. Until then, please uh, subscribe, share with others, uh, leave us a uh, star rating, preferably five if you feel so inclined. And we'd love some reviews with actual words as well. And uh, if you have any feedback, feedback at the middle of culture.com and uh, we'll be back in another two weeks. Thanks everyone. Talk to you then. Talk to you then.